Good morning, class. Turn in your papers in the back, please. No, it's too late if you haven't already done it. Hey, you guys, you guys are having flashbacks. Hey, do you, uh, the, the book little thing that we have out there, there's some great books out there. I have certainly ripped off my share of classic books. I just grabbed one on the way in, and you know what? We're trying to just kind of move them out so we don't have to move them, which uh, we'll be deciding on our office place this week, and so we'll let you know the actual days, but the goal is to take the entire month to move our offices so we don't have to just jam it all on a Saturday, which we could if we had to, but we like the smaller approach of box by box sort of thing. Or something like that. Bound by honor. Gary and uh, Greg Smalley uh, fostering a great relationship with your teen. I mean, come on. Free. Uh, who wants it? First person. Who, who, here, you go, uh, here you go. Okay. You want it? Yeah, come on up, girl. Come on down. All right. There you go. Right there. Thank you. Give her a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Just all that to say, there's lots of good quality books out there. And... Um, you know what? Uh, go and uh, grab some if you would, because um, like Jonathan said, we don't want to move them. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Lonnie Wright, has developed a program for young people and disenfranchised people, homeless people, people who are stuck in a gap and can't get out. And it is a six-week training program on becoming a, um, a line cook. Uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, culinary arts, uh, six weeks. Uh, every day, I think it might be six days, but um, the, the goal is, is at the end of six weeks, you have the job skills. A lot, of young, a lot of young people in particular, but not just that, even folks who are homeless, they don't have like the, the resources to get the training, to get a job, to get off of whatever roles they might be on so that they could begin to, instead of costing taxpayers, you know, becoming taxpayers. And so this system that they've developed, this program is available uh, there's grant money available. Uh, we've had a couple of guys in our church who've already gone through it, and they're getting jobs for people. Uh, the young ones in particular, the, almost 100% of them, they're getting them jobs with benefits. And so I say all that to say, if you know someone, and it doesn't have to be a young person, it could be an old person who's just stuck. Sometimes that happens. There's flyers out there, and if you'd like to uh, give that to somebody or use it yourself or whatever, I want, you to, I want to make that resource available to you because a lot of times it's like, where do I go? How do I get a job? I don't have the training. I don't even know. Well, that's a start. And there's a number of young men that have been a part of our body that have already done it. And, uh, and it's, it's worked out pretty good for them. You know? So I wanted to make that um, uh, available to you as well. Uh, with that, let's all stand and um, get into God's word this morning. Do you, feel like, uh, do you feel like you're in heaven today? couple, two, three. How many of you guys feel like you're in heaven today? How many of you guys feel like you're definitely not? All right. How many don't really understand the question or want to raise your hand? A couple in the back there. A couple of elders. Gotcha. Thanks, fellas, for the support. Um, uh, Ephesians says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans- transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, even though your day may seem to be quite hellish, uh, uh, 
practically, uh, but um, uh, uh, spiritually, we are seated together with Christ Jesus in high places. Uh, we are, uh, heaven is a place that we're looking to get to, but it's also a place that we can have a heaven kind of mind right now, an understanding that that's what we've been raised up to. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this family that we have in Christ Jesus. For Lord, you said that we are many, but we are one body in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Let your word have its way. And even if it's one word or a sentence or something that you put into our heart, into our mind, God, that you would challenge us and that we would receive all that you have for us this day. We thank you in advance. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five. Have a seat if you would, please. All right. The message this uh, this afternoon is uh, we're in Revelation chapter 4. And the message is entitled, A Door, A Throne, A Rainbow, and A Choir. A Door, A Throne, A Rainbow, and A Choir. There was a poll recently that said that 68% of Americans, uh, American population believed in heaven slightly uh, down from 76% about 10 to 15 years ago. So apparently belief in heaven is um, losing some ground. And of that 68% that believe in heaven, 61% said that they believe uh, that they had a pretty good shot at getting into heaven. And you'd like to think that... that that uh, for those who do believe that there is a place called heaven, that they'd want to get there. But it turns out there are some people who really don't want to go to heaven. Um, Ted Turner, the media mogul, I just love saying that word mogul, uh, of CNN and a whole bunch of other stuff at a national press club said this, quote, heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring. Where we're going, we'll have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess. Apparently, he believes that he's actually going to have authority in hell too. (laughs) Uh, He won't. And also, um, he doesn't really believe in hell because if he did, he wouldn't say that. So therefore, he doesn't believe in heaven either. It is interesting to note that his former wife, Jane Fonda, uh, had uh, supposedly, don't know her personally, but just from what I read, had, a re- had an experience where she came to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior and that that created a major rift in their marriage. And as a result of that, they aren't together anymore. We're still waiting on her to, uh, anyway, mention Vietnam, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> she, she needs to go back to that for a moment. Anyway. Praise God. Hey, listen, little boy was in a pet shop for his birthday, and they wanted to get him uh, any dog that he wanted as a birthday gift. And so uh, they showed him every kind of dog, and he picked one uh, dog who was uh, wagging his tail rather feverishly. And uh, mom asked him a little bit later, why did you pick that dog? And he said, I picked it because I wanted the dog with a happy ending. (laughs) And uh, you know what? Heaven is a happy ending. Um, the book of Revelation is a book that has a lot of symbolism. It has a lot of things that are, quite frankly, very weird. There are a lot of people who think about the book of Revelation and they think, you know what, what is the point of reading that? You can't understand it. It's, uh, it's too uh, 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 
technical. There, there, there are too many images of things that we don't understand what they are. And, and by the way, who wants to know, spend all their time knowing prophecy anyway? Prophecy are things written in advance of them coming to pass. And if we take the entirety of the Word of God, the book of Revelation sums everything up. How nice of the Lord to tell us how everything is going to end up and to list it out for us. And we, we absolutely want to know what the book of Revelation says. And we want to be able to unpack it. And so we're going to be doing that. We'll take it in sections. We've already uh, gone through the letters to the seven churches. Now we're shifting gears because uh, there's the ver- uh, chapter 5 and 6 is sort of the next, the next aspect. And so John the Apostle writes of worship in heaven before warfare on earth. It is worship in heaven before warfare on earth. And the point is, is that no matter, no matter how dark things get or how difficult things get, no matter what new missile fires out from hell, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus, is seated on the throne, and in the end, He gets the victory. In fact, He already has the victory. Can you say amen? Okay, you need a little more enthusiasm out of that, but that's all right. I understand that macho combo burrito is kicking in right about now. You know, go high protein for breakfast, folks. Go high, no carbs for breakfast. Go high protein, and right about now, you'll be energized, not kind of like dragging on down, okay? Amen? Amen. Okay, okay. All right, so John is told to write, uh, and in uh, chapter 119, um, uh, it says, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place. So that's a pretty good outline for the book of Revelation, the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Um, And so a door, a throne, rainbow and a choir verse uh, chapter four verse one after these things and this is the first of two things after these things i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me said come up here and i will show you what must take place after these things so in chapters uh, two and three as he spoke to the churches Uh, After Jesus speaks to the seven churches, John is called up to heaven. Uh, The first voice that he hears in chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, if you could turn in your Bible there, uh, calls John up. And this is the voice that he heard that he's referencing in chapter 4. So chapter 1, verse 12 and 18 says this, 12 through 18. And I turned to see the voice that that, that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lamp stands one like a son of man clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." That's Jesus. So, um, uh, 
the first thing we come to is a door. Um, this is a door that's standing open, apparently into the, into the, the gates or the entry of, of heaven. It's, it's an incredible thing to think that John's been called up to go through this door. By the way, Jesus is the only one by whom we have access to the throne of God. Scripture in Hebrew says that we can boldly enter the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy in the time of need, but that's because of our relationship with the Lord. Not only that, Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So to get to this door, you must go through the door, and the door is Jesus. Now, in chapter 3, he wrote about another door on earth, John did. And he says this to the church at Philadelphia. He says, Look, I have set before you an open door which no man can shut. We remember that was the door of opportunity on earth to this church, Jesus says. There's an open door. It's a door of service. Uh, That's a door on earth, but... Now he sees a door on heaven. So in other words, there will be a time when every opportunity on earth here closes. Right now, living grace, there's a door on earth that's open to us. And there is a door in heaven that is open as well. And there is a time that that door will be shut. There is a time that all of us have to receive Jesus, ask for forgiveness of our sins, turn from our ways to his ways, and by doing that, that door is open to us. But the, the, the timing is such that when we die, that door is closed. Just like in the church, there's a time when the, our door, our opportunity of service is open now, but there's a time when that door will close. Claire Serrano, our missionary uh, with Gospel for Asia, was, was here speaking Wednesday night, and, and uh, I think it was Tuesday, I had her just say, I said, hey guys, this is Claire Serrano, uh, say something to the kids. And, and she goes, she looks at me and says, you've got one life to live, how are you going to live it? I went, ooh, <laughs> ooh, yeah, because there's a time, we, we have so much time on this side of eternity, and, and, and the Bible says that our time here is like a, 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 a vapor, it's a mist, I mean, you know how fast time goes. And the older you get, the faster time seems to go. I mean, it's already June. Are you kidding me? It should be like March the 12th or something. We should still be in March Madness. I can't believe it. No, we're, it, it, it's like, what happened to this year? I mean, the older I get, the faster time goes. You know, and if you have kids, you certainly see that when they walk by you. You know, I mean, they used to be over here. Now they're trying to look you eye to eye. And even chest bump you a little bit. It's like, you better back up off me, man, because, you know, it's, you don't start nothing, it won't be nothing. But if you do, I'm, a, I'm prepared to go down right here in the kitchen, boy, over this last, ba- this last couple of potato chips or whatever have you, whatever it might be, ice cream, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, boy, so there's an do- open door. And for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, you have an open door. But here's the thing. You don't know when that door is going to close. And there'll be no more opportunity. That's why it says today is the day of salvation. Don't put off eternity today. And then he says, after these things a second time. 
Some say that what will transpire in this book has already taken place before this time, specifically speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem, and that that was the things that we are going to read, and they say that that's already happened. Um, a Bible scholar, Poole, said this, from which it appears that God did not here show his prophet the destruction of Jerusalem, for that was already passed. In the time of Titus Vespasian, the Roman emperor, about the year 69 or 70, after the incarnation, this, as all confess, was in Domitian's time, about the 11th or 12th year of his reign, about 26 or 27 years after that was passed. So some would say the destruction of Jerusalem, that's entailed in, what, in these, these judgments that are going to be poured out. And then there are those who say, well, this has happened after the time of John, but before our time. And these things, the, the totality of the things that happen in this book, they have not happened yet. There have been some pretty traumatic things that have happened on earth, but nothing like what we're going to see unveiled in the book of Revelation. It is cataclysmic and it's worldwide. That has not happened yet. And we have to be careful when we begin to draw dotted lines to things that we think uh, uh, represent uh, the Bible, we, we take aspects of culture or aspects of history and say, see, that's the third seal. Well you, well, you can't do that if it doesn't clearly say that. And so we have to be careful of that. <clears throat> verse 2, and you know what, why don't we just, for the sake of understanding, why don't we just read verse 2 through the end. Uh, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like, the emerald in, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had the face of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Hold on, it gets more interesting. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and uh, who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things and because of thy will they existed and were created. That is quite the behind the scenes look at what's going on. You ever feel like heaven is silent? You feel like nothing's going on in heaven? There's a lot going on in heaven, as John will show us. So, back to verse 2. 
It says, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments um, and golden crowns on their heads. And so the first thing that we see is this throne. And that's a key word here. It's used some 14 times in this chapter and 40, uh, 45, 46 times in, throughout the book of Revelation. And, and he says he's in the spirit. And, and what about his body? We believe that we are a trichotomy, that, that this part of our body is the least influential. It's the least significant part of us. Uh, now, you got to have a body, right? But, and we place all of our emphasis on the body. But, you know, it's interesting. God doesn't look on the outside as much as he looks at the heart. That's what he's concerned about. Because the outside, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 charm is deceitful or, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised because that's the condition of the heart. Uh, God looks at the inside. So we believe we have body, which is flesh and bones and liver function and brain function. And then we have a, a soul, which is the seat of our emotions. It gives us personality. It gives us identity. It gives us humanness. And, and, and then we have a spirit. There's that entity within us that communes with God uh, that, that uh, uh, has to be born again because it's dead. And then we come to know Christ and our spirit comes alive. And so John says, you know, I was in the spirit. And it's like, okay, so like, were you like being there on that prison bed in Patmos? And, and then all of a sudden, like, was your body still there and your, your spirit went on to heaven? Well, the Apostle John in 2 Corinthians 12 had an experience and he said this. I know such a man, he was speaking of himself, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man uh, to utter. And, and so Paul says, listen, I'm not sure if I, was, if I was in the body or out of the body, but whatever the case, he had an experience in heaven as well. And, and so, hey, may not matter what form he was when he was there, whether it was a vision, whether it was in the spirit or whether his body is, hey, he got a behind the scenes look. That's all that matters. And he sees the throne. It's the first thing that he sees. It's the centerpiece of heaven. It's the throne of God. Just like the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness and there's a tabernacle which represented heaven and represented the physical manifestation of God. And that tabernacle in the very center of it was the Holy of Holies, which is, which is essentially where God resided on earth. And, where, and that, that tabernacle was right in the middle of the camp. So that the Israelites would, would look over to the middle of the camp, millions of them, and they'd see the smoke rising and the incense being offered up and know that prayers were being offered on their behalf. But it wasn't in the front of the camp. It wasn't in the end. It was in the center of the camp. Yeah, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if Christ was in the center of our nation? If Christ was the center of our neighborhood, if Christ was the center of our school district and our school system, hey, if Christ was the center of our church, yeah, wouldn't that be a good thing? I, I, I believe it would be. Um, the throne. 
the centerpiece of heaven. And the good news is the seat isn't empty. There's one sitting on the throne. Morgan said this, we can't rightly think about much of anything until we settle in our mind that there is an occupied throne in heaven and that the God of the Bible rules from the throne. Whether there uh, may uh, be many differing interpretations and fundamental truths are self-evident at the center of everything is an occupied throne that's the central question everyone needs to answer is god seated on the throne in heaven or have you removed him and are you sitting on it but guess what doesn't matter if you think you've removed him you can't you might have yourself sitting on the throne of your own life but in heaven god sits on the throne and there's no removing him And this speaks of his sovereignty. Uh, Satan's throne, according to chapter 2, verse 13, might be on earth, but God's is in the highest of heaven. And he says, he who was sitting was, was like. Now imagine John trying to describe this. He's seeing things that are unbelievably complex. And he's seeing the throne of God. And he doesn't talk about God sitting on that throne in, in what was, it, it, it's, it's, you know, all I could tell you, it was like light was emanating from him. Jasper, which, which may mean like diamond or uh, white stone, and Sardis, which is a red stone. Uh, and he uses those to say it was, it was like, like that, that diamond or that white stone and, and, and Sardis, that red stone. Now, when he mentions uh, Jasper and Sardis, everybody would get that. We don't. Uh, but, but they would get what he meant by that because, because the, the, the high priest uh, wore a breastplate. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the one who interceded on behalf of the people. And he had this vest that he had to wear. And there were 12 stones on that vest that represented the tribes of Israel. It was like he had to carry that right before him at all times as God's representative. And each of those 12 stones represented the 12 sons of Jacob that were the 12 tribes. And interesting that Jasper was the first stone on the breastplate and Sardis was the last one. And so Reuben was the firstborn and his name means behold a son. Benjamin was the lastborn and his name means son of my right hand. And I just think it's interesting that when he looked at God, he thought about him in that context, almost as if there's a reminder of the incarnation of Jesus, behold a son, and the exaltation of Jesus, son of my right hand. I just think that's, that's kind of interesting. Well, it says that there's a rainbow that surrounds the throne like an emerald. Completely around the throne, not just over the top, but a surrounds the entire throne. This is a peculiar rainbow. It's a picture of the grace of God. Remember Genesis chapter 9? God makes a covenant with Noah, with the earth. And in that covenant, he says, I will never flood the earth again. You remember because of the wickedness of man, because their hearts were completely and entirely on wickedness, God said, you know what? That's it. And only Noah and his family were saved. Everyone else were destroyed. Well, after the flood waters receded, God enters into a covenant with the earth and says, you know what? Uh, I'm going to give you a sign of this covenant that I will never destroy the earth by flood again. That sign will be a rainbow. 
So that rainbow speaks of our covenant-keeping God, and it speaks of His grace and His mercy. Now, I know today people try to take that rainbow and make it mean something else. You could take it because we live in a free country. You can do whatever you want with it. God created the rainbow, and every time you see a rainbow, it's a picture that He'll never flood the earth again. Now, the earth will one day be torched, but that's a different subject for later in our study. But it will not happen in that particular way. God gives his people a gracious promise that they don't need to fear the storms of tomorrow. 24 thrones and elders seated on them. Who are they? I mean, I wonder if John, you know, passed, hey, pass around a piece of paper. Get some autographs, man. I want every, huh? Are they angels? Well, angels aren't typically numbered or crowned, and they're certainly not sitting on thrones. Uh, the reverse is true. Angels are very busy with God's work and ministering angels as well, even helping us. So, uh, and the Greek word for crowns is Stephanos, which is a victor's crown. And there's no evidence that angels ever receive any crowns. And so it becomes very interesting. But I think there's a bigger picture here because 1 Chronicles 24 tells us there's 24 courses to the priesthood. Maybe that's the symbolism. Well, how about this? There's 12 tribes of Israel and there's 12 apostles. So maybe these elders represent the entirety of the church. We get a little more background out of Revelation 5, verse 9 through 10. It tells us that the elders are singing a song. What's the song they're singing? For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So these are ones that have been redeemed by the Lord. So you know what? It probably represents the church somehow. But specifically who, we are, who they are, we don't know. And they're sitting. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 12 says, If we endure, he shall, we, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. They're clothed in white. That's symbolic. Because, see, if you're going to get to heaven, you have to have the right clothes on. You can't get in on your own righteousness. And clothing sometimes in the Bible symbolizes your status before God. Uh, he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in his robe of righteousness. So you just can't run up into heaven any old way. Jesus told a parable about that, about a king who invited all these people to his banquet. And when they, before they came in the door, he gave them all what? Garments. And then one dude tried to slip in. In fact, he did. Didn't have on the right garments. And that was symbolic of someone who thought they could get into heaven any old way. They, hey, Jesus said it. There's only one way in. And you have to be clothed with my righteousness. And I believe that that's kind of what that symbolizes here. They're wearing white. They're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 5 tells us, Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, storm warnings coming storms of the judgment to come and of God's power. It reminds me of Exodus 19, 16, where uh, God was visiting His people on Mount Sinai and the, and the people didn't want to go up. They didn't want to go near God. They sent Moses up and this was kind of the explanation of what that looked like. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a 
thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound. So the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And it was so, it was so amazingly powerful that the people said, no, we don't, we don't want to go up there. Moses, you go. And the Lord said, tell your people, don't touch the mountain. Don't even let their animals touch the mountain. You know, we like to think of God as the God of the rainbow, the God of grace and the God of mercy. But we forget that He's the God of the flashes of lightning and the sounds and peals of thunder. He's the God of righteousness as well. You ever heard really loud thunder? Yeah, I mean, probably most of us have. Uh, years ago, uh, uh, Pastor Colby and I, when he was here with us, we went up to the mountains. And you know how the mountains can be. You know, it can be just clear and sunny and then clouds roll in and the weather can drastically change. And I mean, I heard the loudest crack of thunder that just had me looking to hide for anything. You know, something about thunder and lightning. I don't care how bad you are. You might even be a storm chaser or you might think that, you know, I ain't afraid of nothing. Yeah, let some lightning go off next to you, man. You're going to, you know, have to go to the restroom or something. That's like, yeah, yeah, I know you're bad and all that. Let that happen. And and just so the, the, the power and the, I mean, Flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder. And John's got to be thinking, are you sure it's okay that I'm here? Because this is really freaking me out right now. This has to be insane. Wow. And there are seven lamps of fire, which is symbolic of the seven spirits of God. And we talked about that earlier in our study through through the churches. It means the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the completeness of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a rainbow, and then there's a choir. Verse 6, And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Oh, this is getting really good. You're thinking, okay, what was the sermon about? It was about like some creatures in heaven with eyes. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, okay. First of all, something like a sea of glass, like crystal, perhaps representing the purity and the holiness of God. Again, verse 6, And before the throne there was something like a sea of of glass with crystal, like crystal, and in in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Further definition, verse 7, The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf. The third creature had the face like that of a man, And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Wait a minute, man. What what are you talking about? Wait, it gets better. I added that part. Verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say. Okay, how often do they do this? This is your job description all day and all night. This is what you're going to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Who are, what are these four living creatures? If you want to jot this down, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4 through 14. Ezekiel has a similar vision of these 
angelic beings. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4 through 14. According to Ezekiel 28, 14, Ezekiel 28, 14, Satan was once one of these high angelic beings. Notice that they are closer to God than anything else. They are right in front of, in the midst of the Lord. There are different faces on these cherubim, these angelic beings. And a lot of times there are those scholars who believe that they represent the four different facets or aspects of the Gospels. You know, the Gospels tell the same story, but they tell it a little bit differently because they're written to different audiences. And so there's a different there's a different bent to them to reach a particular uh, group. Uh, Dr. Luke, uh, uh, the physician, wrote his uh, with a lot of detail. Uh, The book of Mark doesn't have the genealogies because it's for a Gentile crowd. But there are different aspects of the character of Jesus, just like in the letters to the churches, there were different aspects that he wrote to. Well, the Gospels have that as well. And so most have Matthew as the lion, which is a picture of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mark is seen as an ox in Revelation. It's a calf showing Jesus as the humble servant. Luke, he is seen as the man or the God man showing Jesus as the perfect man or the second Adam. John is seen as the eagle gospel, if you would, showing Jesus as a man from, uh, uh, from heaven out of the sky. Now, Warren Worsby has an interesting take on, these, on the faces of these angelic beings, and this is what he says. I believe these special creatures uh, symbolize God's creation and are related uh, uh, to God's covenant with Noah. And if you want to write that down, it's uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. In particular, chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 10, the face of the four living creatures, uh, he says, compares to God's covenant in Genesis. So he makes a covenant with Noah. Ah, the face of the man. He makes a covenant with the fowl or with the birds. Ah, the face of the eagle. He makes a covenant with the cattle. Ah, face of the calf, and he makes a covenant with the beast of the earth, yeah, the face of a lion. And so in this is a reminder of God's covenant, he says, with all of creation. Yeah, perhaps. This much we know. There is high holy praise going on in heaven. This is the resounding sound of heaven. Uh, now, Now, buckle yourselves in as we kind of turn the corner to the back stretch and make our way to the end of this time today because, because how we worship, why we worship, and what worship looks like comes into question as we look at the simplicity and yet the magnitude of the worship in heaven by those who are closest to Him. We can learn something from it. And so here is the beginning of this crescendo of worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now in Hebrew, a double repetition, Johnson says, of a word adds emphasis. Jesus would say, verily, verily, or as we saw weeks ago, what he meant was, amen, amen. Oh, so he would say the same word twice to, to place particular emphasis on that. But this author, Johnson says, while the rare threefold repetition designates the superlative and calls attention to the infinite holiness of God. I'll say this is something completely different because here's, here's the word, holy, 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 uh, transcendent, 
God is the ultimate in other than. I don't really know how to describe it. He's not like us. There were times where the, the disciples would encounter the holiness of God. And Peter said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a wretched man. Isaiah gets a glimpse of the holiness of God. And he goes, I am a dead man. Because I've, I'm, an, I'm from an unclean people and I've got unclean lips and I'm in the very presence of God. I am not going to survive this. God is holy. He's, he's other than. Uh, I have a friend one time uh, and, and he, it was you know, Christmas time, I think it was, and he called me up and he said, you know, we were we, we, you know, texting back and forth. And, you know, you know, Merry Christmas, blah, blah, blah. He goes, God is the universe. I go, no, he's not. Don't reduce God to his creation. God created all things. And we'll see that in the final chorus of our song. Creation comes into play. God is not the universe. God is transcendent from the universe. He created the universe. He's outside of time and space and energy and matter. He created those things. He is not a part of them. Oh, God can manifest his presence any way he wants to, but there's a difference between that and saying that he is the universe. God is the sun. God is the moon. That's where the Egyptians got into all kinds of trouble with all of their gods. No, he's not that. He created them. He spoke the stars into existence. He knows the number of the stars. Just as he knows the number of hairs on our head. He is transcendent. He is holy. He is the ultimate in other than. Therefore, you just don't approach God any way you want to. You have to have the right clothing on. It's amazing to think that John, a mere man who was on lockdown in Patmos, even gets a glimpse of this. But God wants us to know what's going on in heaven. He is not love, love, love. God is love. But that's not the accentuation in heaven. God is a covenant-keeping God. He's a merciful God. But you don't read that God is mercy, 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 me. No, never mind. No, God is, God is tra- transcendent. He is holy, holy, holy. <laughs> oh, that's great. These magnificently powerful angelic beings, when they sing their song, it's holy, holy, holy. Maybe that's a reference to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Maybe. I don't know. How often do they sing this song? Day and night. And I think that knowing that that's how they angels these powerful angels worship God, should stir us on to worship as well. Verse, there's more. It says, verse 9, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power for you. Ah, back to Genesis. For you created all things, and because of of your will, they existed and were created. In case you missed Genesis chapter 1, that says God created everything In the beginning, God created Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. 
don't get that wrong, but in case you missed it and you think God didn't create it all or you think it took him billions of years to do it, even though the Bible says six days, let us repeat it again in Revelation. This is foundational. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and because of you uh, will they uh, existed and because of your will, they existed and were created. In case you didn't get that, in case you missed Genesis 1-1, let's repeat this again before everything gets destroyed. <laughs> Woo. Folks, we better train up our young people in Genesis 1-6. through 6. We better pound it, pound it, bring scientific evidence, go to answers in Genesis, go wherever you need to go, because I'm telling you, it's a slippery slope when you start believing God didn't create everything or you start believing it took him billions of years because that's what I'm learning in school. It says six days. I believe that. And I believe there's a ton of evidence to support that. Because if that's not right, then how do I know the rest of it's right? If the foundation's off, the building's going to be crooked. I know. I built a garden. <laughs> Big stone, little stone things. Nobody knows it's crooked but me and my family. And I know where it's crooked. Don't step there. Why? Because it's crooked. Because that was hard work. You get the point. <sighs> now, there's an allusion to this, to the practice known in the Roman Empire. Watch this. The Roman emperor uh, ruled over lesser kings, and these kings had to report uh, at uh, designated times before the emperor and when they came they had to lay their crowns down before him kind of in worship or in homage okay and then he would give them back as a demonstration that their crowns or rather their right to rule and their victory came from him so so see people who read this in john's time would get it what that's just like the romans do they have to come and they have to lay their crowns down. Oh, there's going to be a time in heaven where we lay our crowns down. Whatever we accomplish here on earth, whatever, whatever uh, 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 accolades, whatever rewards we have, we'll just lay them down at, the, at his feet. These two are Stephanos. They're, they're victor's crowns. These are gold medals, silver, bronze medals, whatever it may be. Every achievement is thrown back at the Lord because he alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. So Spurgeon says this, and we're wrapping up, folks, and we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing the song of heaven. Are you ready? No? Okay. Spurgeon said, our text says that they all cast their crowns before the throne. There are no divided opinions in heaven, no sex and party, sex and parties, no schisms there. They are all in perfect harmony and sweet accord. What one does, all do. They cast their crowns without exception before the throne. Let us begin to practice the uh, unanimity that here. As fellow Christians, let us get rid of everything that would divide us from each other and separate us from our Lord. I do not read that there was a single elder who envied his brother's crown and said, Ah, I wish I were such as one as he is and had his crown i do not read that one of them who began to find fault with his brother's crown and said ah his jewels may be bright but mine have a peculiar tint in them <laughs> and are of greater excellence i do not read aught of dissension uh, they were a uh, unanimous 
They were all unanimous in casting their crowns at Jesus' feet. They were all unanimous in glorifying God. That's cool. All right. Since heaven will be filled with worship, why not get a little practice in now? There is earthly worship, and then there's heavenly worship when you see him face to face. There are those who think when we get to heaven, what are we going to be doing? Sitting on, on clouds and playing the harp? <laughs> they need to read this. Because apparently there's a lot of activity going on in heaven. And we haven't even begun. To, this is just the throne room. <laughs> this is just where the party is. <laughs> we haven't got to everything else that's going on in heaven. Jesus said there will become a time when those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. That means without religious agenda. That means freely. Uh, is our worship time limited to Sunday or Wednesday or a light group? Or do we live in a 24-7 continuum of worship? I mean, does the worship end when Pete plays his last chord on the piano and says, okay, everybody greet one another. Okay, worship's over. Is that what our worship is? I, I think the, the whole of the... Holy Spirit living within us and manifesting himself within us when we, when we come together. Uh, Jesus is outside of time, and yet there are places he manifests his presence uh, where the believers come together. He's there in the dynamic. You know, uh, one plus one is three. There's more than just when we come together in agreement, and, and that's worship. How about when you're driving down the road and you, you sing a worship? doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Guess what? There's an audience of one. Jesse, stop celebrating it. I'm not <laughs> referencing anyone. I'm just saying. You know, Jesse's up there jumping up and down and stuff. Hey, listen. It, it, who are you singing to? Uh, uh, is, is worship limited to church time? Uh, is it limited to the music? It, it, listen, it's so much bigger than that. Worship is, uh, is about all that we are. Paul the Apostle said, pray without ceasing. And we think, okay, nobody prays constantly. Oh, no, that's not what he meant. He meant have an attitude of prayer in all things. He, he meant when you're driving down the road and, and you think of someone, pray for them. You pass by a high school or a junior high, pray for that school. Uh, you know, somebody texts you, you haven't heard from them, maybe you need to pray for them. That, that's an attitude of prayer. Practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence, he wrote a book about, about the worship experience. And he said, you know, when I'm in the kitchen in this monastery, banging away with pots and pans, I am ever bit in the presence of God when I'm there as I am in the solitude of the sanctuary. Because it's a 24-7 continuum that we live in. And we have to get out of church service. We have to get out of worship service. We have to get out of our uh, 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 designated time with God. No, we are always having time with God. We're always in worship. We're always, whether music's playing or not, we worship God in all things. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if this is what's going on in heaven, we ought to practice as much as we can so when we get to heaven, we join right in with the choir. Well, I don't like the music. How come you left that church? I hated the music. What's wrong with your heart? As if that's your only time to worship the Lord. I need something with a little more pop, a little more. Ha, ha, ha. No, but you know, you need to get in your word, man. And you need to go in your, whole, in your prayer closet and pray and worship privately. Because if you're worshiping privately, it don't matter what the music sounds like. 
And we happen to have talented musical people here. But if you have a heart of worship, little kids come up here and sing. And you know what? Your focus would not be on the kids because you're worshiping the Lord with everybody else. How you worship? How you doing? When do you worship? Is it a continuum? Every day? Every day worship? Do you have a song in your heart? Let's practice. Shall we? Here's the resounding sound of heaven. We can get those last verses up there. The first part most of us have memorized. Verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. I would venture to guess that the living creatures are probably a little more louder than that, but that's all right. That's a start. That's a start. Now, I want you to get this. We're wrapping up. So hang on, okay? Hold on. Now, I recognize some people, worship experience is jumping up and down. Hallelujah. You'd, you'd run right. You'd dive right through that glass window if you could. Okay, I, rep, I understand that. You know, if we had chandeliers, you'd be swinging from them. Ah, okay, that's fine too. And I recognize some people, it's, it's not quite like that. Some people wave their hands and like, whoo, hallelujah. Other people are like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, God's good. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to get, you know, just... Hold on. Hey, however God wired you. But in heaven, this is what's going on. Okay? Now watch what happens. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him and they sing this song, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. And I get the picture that it starts all over again. And then the living creatures, here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And they cast their crowns before the Lord. The, 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 the 24 elders come up. Worthy art thou, Lord our God. To receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. And then here come the living creatures again. Ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Hang on. So, yep. Here come the 24 elders, and they throw their crowns down, and, and then they come onto the stage, and they say, Worthy art thou, our Lord, uh, help me out, and our God, is it not on the screen? Okay, who sits on the throne, uh, to, wait, 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 uh, to receive glory and honor and power, thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. 24 elders, take a step back. Here come the living creatures. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty was and who is and who is to come. Here comes the 24 elders. Are you ready? You guys know your lines. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things and because of thy will they existed and were created. 24 elders, living creatures, wings flapping and eyes all over the place. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
and the resounding praise of heaven. It's not even a long song. It's not even, doesn't have any music to, we don't read about that. And these are the closest angelic beings to God and they're worshiping his holiness. And it goes on day and night and no angels are going, is that the only song they know? Can we not sing something else, please? No, no, no. That's amazing, isn't it? It's the sound of heaven. So may we be a people who worship from our heart. May we have a song in our heart, whether we sing it or not. I think Christians should be leading the way in quality music. Worship music or any other kind, because the Spirit of the Lord lives within us. And you know what? A lot of them are. But may we be a worshiper. The door for our service is today. There's going to be a time when that door closes. And we'll see him face to face. And we'll receive our crowns. And we'll throw them before him. That door is going to close. There's also another door that's available. And that's a door for those people who do not know Jesus. And then day, that door is going to close as well. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Will you be a part of this heavenly chorus? Will you be allowed through the door? Or will you not? Well, it depends on your clothing. Whether or not you have on the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? That means you go before God and you say, God, I'm naked before you. You know my thoughts. You know my deeds. You know my words. You know that I am I'm bent on evil, and I will do my own will every time. I will make stuff up if I have to. I'll make stuff up if I have to. That's my heart. But God, I'm a sinner. I've broken your commands, sometimes all of them, all at the same time. And I'm saying, forgive me for my sins. I'm saying, I want your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, in exchange for my filthy rags, And I want to turn from my way and go your way. Because you created all things, including me. I'd like to give you an opportunity to embrace that this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for for this chapter. It is eye-opening. There's so much to it. And... There's parts that we may not get, but there's a lot that we can get. And so, Lord, we just ask for you to fill in the blanks for us. Thank you for this, this time together this morning. Cause us to be worshipers who worship you in spirit and truth. And there might be a stirring in your heart that you know that if you died tonight, you would not be right with God. There might be a, a stirring in your heart to say, you know, if I, if I, if I came into this Boy, I, 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 I don't feel like I'd be welcome there because I don't know Jesus. I don't know anything about Jesus. Or maybe, maybe like I did, you had, a, you had a religious understanding of Jesus but not a personal understanding. You never embraced him and acknowledged him and asked him to forgive you. But in your heart, maybe there's a churning that's going on. There's a, there's a stirring that's happening that you might, you might just say, you know what, I need that. I need that. I, I, God, I, I, need, I need your grace. 
I, I, I need your, your, your mercy. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts our hearts of our sin and, and that we're not right before him. And no, matter, no, no manner of religiosity will make us right. No manner of good deeds or trying to do the right thing or following the golden rule won't make us right before God because it doesn't deal with the core issue. That's my heart before him. But that's why Jesus came. And so if your heart is, is, is crying out this morning for Jesus and you know in your heart you need him, would you raise your hand that I might pray with you? We, we have a team of people that would like to just pray. Any